Welcome to this week's message from Pastor Jeff Spooniebarger at First Baptist Church, Gulf Breeze, located in the heart of Gulf Breeze, Florida. Open your Bibles, if you will, to 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Did you know that God has never, ever in the history of the world used a perfect person in ministry? He's never used a perfect person to accomplish His purposes. He's never even found a perfect person that He could even try to accomplish His purposes through. And the reason for that is this. It's very simple. Nobody is perfect. Imperfections are a part of life. They're a part of reality. If you are living, if you are breathing, you have got things in your life that are imperfect. Let's call them blind spots. Let's call them cracks. Let's call them broken spaces. Let's call them fears. Let's call them whatever we want to call them. But what they are are areas of our life that we haven't quite figured out yet. And, frankly, we may never figure some of them out. But here's the news for you today. The Bible clearly teaches us that God does His best work through imperfect people. So today I want to talk to you about how to live as an imperfect person and how to treat imperfect people. Because the truth is, as the people of God, we are the body of Christ, and as as the person next to you goes, so goes you. You are only as good as the person next to you in terms of your spiritual effectiveness within this body of Christ. And if the person next to you remains unhelped and remains cracked and remains flawed, and and if there's, there's no help to them, you yourself suffer. And it's the same all the way around. So what I want to do is I want to look at a few different passages, and I want to look at it from two different perspectives. Perspective number one is you yourself are flawed, right? I'm flawed, you're flawed. How do we treat or how do we deal with our own selves in this? And then two, how do we deal and treat with others in this? Now, I'm not talking about gross moral failure. I'm not talking about uh, deep-rooted sin. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about issues that, that are, are just part of, of, of life. And so the best way to explain it would be, if you've ever, did any, have, if you've ever done any studies on personalities, either Myers-Briggs or Enneagram or uh, DISC, any of those, what you'll usually see, it, well, not usually, but always will see is they will say, these are your strengths, right? And most of the time when we look at that, we're like, yes! And, and that makes us feel good because we see our strengths in black and white and we're thinking to ourselves, man, that is right on it. That is so me. But then you look to the next column and what is it? It's these are your weaknesses, and, and what's true about every personality type is every personality has things and areas in which they excel and they have areas in which they don't excel. In fact, when I first came to First Baptist Church 17 years ago, I distinctly remember uh, preaching a message, one of the first couple of messages I preached, and I said this. I said, look, every church wants three things in their lead pastor. Every church, regardless of the church, this is what they want. This is what they expect. They want a good preacher. 
They want a good pastor, shepherd, and they want a good administrator. I said, but here's the problem. No human being on the planet is going to excel at all three of those things. It is impossible to be a great preacher, a great shepherd, and a great administrator. Why? Because in many ways they are opposing gifts, and here's the other reason why. If one person has them all, nobody else is needed. It puts a person in a a position of nobody else needs to be around because they can just do it all. And so what Paul is saying here is, is, is built upon that whole idea that we are all imperfect and we are all in need of our brother or our sister in Christ to shore up our imperfections. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 12... Verse 6, the Scripture tells us this. This is Paul writing to the Corinthian church. He says, For if I want to boast, I wouldn't be a fool because I would be telling the truth. But I will spare you so that no one can credit me with something beyond what he sees in me or hears from me, especially because of the extraordinary revelations. Therefore, so that I would not exalt myself, a thorn in my flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to torment me so that I would not exalt myself. Concerning this, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might leave me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. Therefore, I will most gladly boast all the more about my own weaknesses, so that Christ's power may reside in me, so I might take pleasure in weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and difficulties for the sake of Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul begins this argument by saying, look, I could boast about all of my accomplishments, and he literally, legitimately could have boasted about his accomplishments. He could have talked about him being a Pharisee of Pharisee. He could have talked about the suffering that he had at the hands of evil men. He could have talked about all of the gospel presentations, and he could talk about how the gospel has flourished and spread uh, throughout the whole area because of him. But he said, I'm not going to boast in these things Because I want you to be able to recognize them and see them for what they are. I want you to see them as a work of God, not as a work of Paul. And the truth is, many of us, our starting point in learning how to live with with our own uh, imperfection is to recognize that we don't have to prove anything to anyone. Too many of us are trying to live for other people's approval. We're trying to help other people see that we're something because we feel like, we, we feel like our, our, uh, our worth comes from the recognition of others. But here's the deal. You don't get true value and worth based on what other people think of you. You get true value and worth based on who Christ Jesus has made you to be. He is your source and He is your strength. And you know that you've, you've, re, you've attained a certain level of maturity in the faith when you no longer feel like you have to tell everybody about who you are. You just let your life speak for itself. You know, the cool thing, this is a little side note, but when you get to that point, you no longer have to defend yourself as often either. That's a good place to be. Somebody says, well, do you this, 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 you, okay. 
I learned this from a friend of mine named Levi. I was actually joking with him one day. His name is Levi Lance. He's a, well, he's a, he's a really neat guy, good friend. He was, I was joking with him one day and poking fun at something, and every time I'd say something, I'd go, yeah, okay. Like, man, you just ruined all the fun. Like, I was trying to cut you down jokingly, and, and you know, I was going to you know, just have one of those fun times of, and, and you just, okay. And it totally deflated, but what it taught me is this. You don't have to defend yourself. You don't have to explain yourself. You don't have to prove yourself to everybody and everything. And, and here's, here's the, it doesn't mean you're not, a, it doesn't mean that you don't ever have to be accountable. It means that there's something about the pride of a human heart that when there's, 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 a, there's a, a, a conversation in this way that, that you want to you wanna insert yourself and say, well, let me just tell you, let me just tell you, wait, at some point you just have to rest on the, the character of your own heart and say, God knows my heart. If we just stop this message right here, we go no further. If you just learned to live that way, life would be different. Because we spend an awful lot of time and effort and energy trying to convince other people of things that we just don't need to convince them of. But Paul says, I'm not going to boast in what I've done, I'm going to let my life speak for itself. No, in fact, instead of boasting about what I've done, I'm going to boast in my own weakness. I'm going to say, I stink at this thing. I'm no good at this thing. I totally flubbed, flubbered up this thing or whatever. I, I totally messed up this thing. Why would he say that? Because he has a keen awareness that his only strength is that Jesus Christ has given him grace upon grace upon grace. And the thing about your life and my life is this. The sooner we get to that point, the happier we're going to be and the more productive in the kingdom of God we're going to be. Because we're no longer spending time trying to convince people. We're spending time, or trying to please people, we're spending time trying to please God. And so Paul says, I'm not going to boast in, in what I've done. No, I'm going to boast in my own weakness. He said, therefore... So that I would not exalt myself, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to torment me so that I would not exalt myself. Is it not true that most of us are keenly aware of most of our own faults? I mean, isn't it not true that we know what we're not good at? But you see, we have to get to the point where we know what we're not good at and we're no longer ashamed of what we're not good at. Because the shame is not from God, the shame is from the enemy, and it's the accuser of the brethren who tries to use the shame to get us to compensate for what we're not good at, and it's this vicious downward spiral from there. No, instead of the shame, we stand up and we say, look, I'm not good at this, not making excuses, I'm just telling you that that's not the way I'm wired, that's not what God did in me, so I need you to help me in this area of weakness, and I'm going to let you do it. That is where a person... And that is where a church really has the ability to move to a whole nother level of effectiveness for the gospel. So Paul says, I'm, I've got this thorn in the flesh. Now here's the thing, we don't know what it is. It could be something physical, it could be something character-wise, I mean it could be anything, but God doesn't give us an exact understanding of what it is. Why do you think he didn't? 
I think, I, I mean, this is my, uh, my guess, I think that he didn't give us this is what it is because I think if he gave us a specific thing, we would miss the principle of the whole matter. We would go along, we'd say, oh, well, I'm just like Paul, I have this. And God's saying, no, no, it's not about a thing, it's about the diversity and uniqueness of people, and I want you to know that everybody falls into this category on some level, in some way. Your greatest strength is also often your greatest weakness. That which you excel at is often that which is most dangerous to you. And it's not by lack of God's design. Why would God give Paul a, mess, a thorn in the flesh, a messenger from Satan? And it tells him right here, so, or tells us, so that I would not be conceited and self-confident in my own strength. Could you imagine Paul without a thorn in the flesh? Could you imagine the pride and could you imagine the arrogance and could you imagine uh, just all that would come out in the self if God had not humbled him through that? So dealing with our own selves in this, how do we live as, as, as a person who's imperfect? Number one, we recognize we're imperfect. We recognize that we don't have it all together and that there are areas of our life that we have got to constantly work on, work at, and allow people to help us with. The way that we know, by the way, most, I, told, I said earlier that most of us know where we're not, but we also have blind spots, things that we don't even know we don't even know, Right? A blind spot is, is, a, is a, a part of our life that we're completely ignorant of. And here's the thing. It is not sinful to have a blind spot. In fact, it is quite normal and quite natural and it's quite human. The problem with blind spots is if you don't know that they're there, you can't do anything about it. That's why the rest of the body is so important to you. Because the rest of the body, I don't want to jump too far ahead, but the rest of the body is the one who says, look, you got a blind spot, but don't worry, I'm not judging you. I'm here to lift you up and to help you because I recognize that this is your blind spot. That's why getting married is, can be so difficult or it can be so marvelous. Because when you marry somebody, you marry somebody with blind spots, and you marry somebody with personality differences. And so you, you enter into this relationship and then you realize that, hey, from a distance, everything was perfect. Now that we are in the same house and now that we have the same name and now that we've been doing this long enough, I don't necessarily like some of these things that I'm seeing, right? Now, I may, maybe not you, right? I mean, maybe not us, but other people deal with this, right? Here's the thing. The, the sooner you recognize that there are, there, there are cracks in every human being, in every relationship, in every everything, the sooner we get that, the sooner we can actually move to maturity and say, okay, now that I know, I can appropriately deal with it. And the way you know, the way you know is to be aware that that's the case. And then second is that you search out what it is that's actually either something in, in your blind spot or something in your character that you need to deal with. Psalm 139 tells us how to do this. 
maybe not tells us how to do this, but it gives us a prayer, I think, that would be uh, a good prayer for us to pray on a regular basis. Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24 says this, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my concerns. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. It's this, cry, it's this prayer to God, this, this crying out to him saying, Oh God, I don't know what I don't know. So search me and test me. Open up the areas of my heart that I'm blind to and show me my own weakness so that your strength can be made perfect in me. So you ask God, and then you ask the people that you trust in your life, hey, help me to see what I don't see. I've tried to, to, uh, I've tried to develop this in my own life, and it's hard because you're asking somebody to criticize you. But see, that's really not the right way to look at it. You're not asking somebody to criticize you. You're asking someone to sharpen you. You see how just that difference of perspective makes all the difference in the world? In order for you to live as an imperfect person, you have to realize you're imperfect. You have to seek out the areas of your life that aren't necessarily all that they need to be, could be, should be, or whatever. And then the third thing is this. You have to receive God's grace. You have to receive God's grace. Otherwise, the accuser will just condemn you over and over and over. Now, it's not just, it's not just making an excuse. It's actually saying, look, I recognize that I need God in my life in this area. Because without Him, I'm going to totally mess it up. The Scripture actually tells us here that Jesus says, my grace is sufficient. He says this because Paul said, hey, will you fix this? God said, no, I'm not going to fix it. God, will you give me this skill? No, I'm not going to give you that skill. God, will you change this circumstance? No, I'm not going to change that circumstance. Well, then how in the world do you want me to be a man of God? How in the world do you want me to be a woman of God? How do you, how do you expect me to move on if I've got this crack? My grace is sufficient for you. I want you to always remember that it's not your strength, but it's my strength that fuels you and that keeps you going. I want you to remember that I am doing a work and that, so that you never forget that you have to come back on your knees and say, Dear God, I need you as much today as I've ever needed you before. And so you need God's grace. And what that means is you don't just need to know that he has his grace. You need to receive and live and trust in his grace. There's a difference. It's easy for us to mentally or to, in our head, know that we need God's grace. It's another thing to live in God's grace. One is full of condemnation. The other one is full of freedom. One is full of fear, and the other one is full of faith. One is full of hiding. The other one is full of saying, hey, I am what I am. Do you see the difference there? So... For you and for me, when we're looking at our own lives, we need to recognize that we're imperfect. We need to recognize that for every good quality, there's also some not-so-good qualities, and everything that makes us great is also something that could make us uh, in a dangerous place, and, and, and it could harm relationships. And so we look at that and we say, God's grace is sufficient for me. But then we have a whole other side of this coin. 
The whole other side of the coin is where it really gets tough. Because the other side of the coin is what you're going to do with the person next to you in their imperfections. See, I can deal with me. I mean, I, I, can, I can wrestle with me. I can deal with me. I can handle me. But my real challenge is, can I handle you? Not handle, but can I, can I deal with your imperfections? Can you deal with my imperfections, right? When you get married, this is the source of conflict most of the time. It's that you married with an ideal of who that person was. Then you started being married and you started living life together and you realized, hey, it's not all it was cracked up to be. And here's the interesting thing. You tell me if this is true or not. These small cracks become giant gulfs because you start to focus on the crack and not on everything else, the reason that you married them. True or not? Those little irritations, those little pebbles become giant stumbling blocks. And before long, all you're thinking about is that one crack and not every other thing that is about th- that's good about that person. So when it comes to each other in here, now marriage we can deal with. But when it comes to each other, it's even more difficult. And here's why. I got to live with my wife. She's got to live with me. We got to figure this out. I don't want I don't want to find another one and she don't either. We put too much time and effort into this, right? But so so we we have a vested interest in why to get this thing working. But when it comes to the person next to you, what's your vested interest? What's the reason for you to spend so much time and energy loving the person next to you when it, 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 it's, it's draining, and it's, and it's hard, and it's self-sacrificing. Why do it? Well, let me give you a really good reason, because Jesus said to do it. That's the first reason. The second reason is because if they hurt, you hurt, and if you hurt, they hurt. So, the very next book after 2 Corinthians is Galatians. Turn, if you will, to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 and 2 says, Brothers and sisters, if someone is overtaken in any wrongdoing, you who are spiritual, restore such a person with a gentle spirit, watching out for yourselves so that you also won't be tempted. Verse 2, carry one another's burdens. In this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. So the responsibility of you to the person next to you, is to carry their burdens. What does that mean? Well, a burden in this context is a weight. It's something that they're carrying that they can't carry the load by themselves. It's something that's squashing them down. It's something that's hindering them. It's something that is is weighing them to the point of of, of affecting their life in 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 a dramatic way. And so, The Bible tells us, look, with your brother or your sister, you are to walk over. You are to put your shoulder up underneath their burden, and you are to walk with them, helping the weight of their burden because it's on your shoulders as well. You say, well, that, that requires asking a lot of a person. Yes, it does. But here's why we do that. Because they're part of us part of the body. So, for you to carry one another's burden, 
you have to do this. You have to, number one, recognize what it is. You have to have the wisdom to know what kind of burden that is, and you have to be careful to label it properly, not improperly. We do this all the time. We assassinate people based on character issues, overlooking everything else in their life, and we do that, and it, and it gets so personal, it gets so ugly, and, and that, is, that is the ultimate of not loving that person. When you assassinate per, a person because of a crack and you overlook everything else in their life, that is the ultimate of not loving your brother. And all of us are guilty of that. Right? Have you ever, have you ever written somebody off because you found out something about them that just turned you off and they're totally trash in your mind now because of that? And every good thing they've ever done is just kind of like, well, forget that. They're a hypocrite. They're this or they're that. Well, wait a minute. The measure by which you judge is the measure by which you and I will be judged. You say, well, I don't want to give grace because they don't deserve it. That's actually what grace is. Grace is undeserved, unmerited favor. The reason we give grace to our brother is because they don't deserve it, but because God gave it to us so that we can give it to them. Could you imagine a church full of people that would try to outgrace each other? Could you imagine a church full of people that would try to outlove each other? Could you imagine a church full of people where nobody carried any burden alone because everybody had all hands on deck? I will help you and I will help you and you will help me. We will walk together through this massively messy thing called life and God will be honored and glorified through it. The best part about the gospel is this. It's God showing his greatness through our brokenness. So how do you carry one another's burdens? First off, you have to recognize what it is. Be careful to label it appropriately. If it's deep sin, it's deep sin. But if it's just, if, if it's just a conflict, a personality issue, if it's just something that's, that's unknown or unseen, if it's a perception or perspective, if you mislabel that, you risk ruining a relationship that may not be able to be restored. Be very careful that you don't judge a person's heart inappropriately. Because when you judge a person's heart inappropriately, you have cut such a deep wound in that relationship that restoration is almost impossible. Have you ever had that happen? You ever had somebody judge you, judge your heart, and you're going, wait a minute, that's not anywhere. That was totally innocent. That was totally accidental. I had no thought of that at all. And do you remember how you felt once your heart was judged and, you, and, and your character was... This, do, you, do you remember what that did to you? Here's the thing. We do that all the time to people. I do that. You do that. It's just part of... That's part of human nature. But God says we don't have the liberty to do that. We are to bear one another's burdens. So we recognize what the burden is. We, we call it as it is. We're very careful and very cautious about that. But the way we approach that is as important as well. It says, those who are spiritual. Verse 1. Those who are spiritual restore such a person with a gentle spirit. The way that you restore them makes all the difference in the world. The difference is, 
I'm here to help you because I love you, as opposed to I'm here to condemn you and to point out your failures. Do you see the difference? One of them is for restoration. The other is for condemnation. One of them will result in God's blessing. The other will result in a lack of God's blessing. So here's the thing. We do that, and it finally says, and watching out for yourself so that you also won't be tempted. In other words, when we approach this the wrong way, it puts us in a very dangerous place ourselves. Now here's what I know. I know that we are all imperfect and flawed people. I know that all of us, if we were to truly lay it out there, we would have to admit things that we're ashamed of, embarrassed of, we, we feel like we should do better with, or whatever, whatever, whatever. But I also know that in, in this room, God has put such a mighty uh, 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 ability and, and giftedness in each of us. Yours is different from mine, mine is different from yours, yours is different from hers, and that's a good thing because if we were all the same, we wouldn't need each other. But because we are imperfect, and because we have this thing called love for each other, God says, I'm going to make something marvelous in the midst of what the world would say is a disaster. So my question to you is this. Do you love the person next to you? Now, if they're your spouse, the answer automatically should be yes. So let's make it more difficult. I want you to think of somebody in this room that you don't really care for. Don't say it out loud. I'm talking about just a, just a perspective or just, a, just an impression, just a... You know, I mean, it's not like I hate them or nothing, but I really don't want to spend time with them at my birthday. Or I want you to just think of somebody that you don't, maybe you don't even know. You just, you've seen them across the room. You'd never say, whatever. Can you love them like you love your spouse? Can you love them in such a way that you're willing to give them grace? That you're willing to say, you know what, I, I'm not going to condemn you for your weakness because I recognize that you're human. The fact is, all of us should love each other in that way. The reality is, it's hard work. It's painful, it's messy, it's ugly. There are feelings involved and all that other junk. You can tell my personality, right? Here's the thing, but when we get this right, the world knows that we are his disciples. Because Jesus said, the world will know you're my disciples by how cool your music is, by how awesome your sermons are, by how incredible your stage lighting is, by the amazing uh, 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 TV things that you know, the world will know you're my disciples because you have a radically different kind of love for each other that doesn't make sense. Instead of crucifying each other, you are giving grace and mercy. You look just like 
Jesus. Will you close your eyes and bow your head for a moment? If you're here today and you've never trusted in Jesus Christ, the Bible says it's by grace that you are saved through faith, not of your works. If you're here today and you acknowledge that you need Jesus, I want to invite you to trust Him now. I want to invite you just to say to Him, God, I know that I'm a sinner, and I know that my sin separates me and condemns me. But I know that Jesus Christ came and He lived and He died so that my sin could be forgiven. So I turn away from myself and I turn to you, Jesus, and I ask you to save me and forgive me. In Jesus' name. This morning, if you have received Jesus Christ through the attitude of a heart expressed by that kind of a prayer, I want to invite you to make that known. This morning, if you haven't loved, which honestly I think none of us have loved 100% of the time like we should have, I invite you to ask God to help you to love. If you haven't loved your husband or your wife with this kind of love, I want to invite you to make a commitment now to do that. If you haven't recognized your own imperfections, I want to invite you just to confess that to God. Whatever it is that God would have you do, I just want you to be obedient so that He can have His way. Don't leave this place today saying no to God. Finally, this morning, if... Well, we'll do that later. Will you stand to your feet? Father in heaven, thank you for your goodness and for your grace. Father, I thank you for your kindness, your mercy. Father, my prayer today is that you'd help your word to sink into our hearts deeply. Help us to know what it is and how it is that you've called us to live. And Lord, we need your help on it. We, we just need your help. In Jesus' name.